It's just been one of those days. Have y'all ever had one of those days? Man, I came in, I usually edit all of my, my, my sermon, I edit all week long, and on Sunday morning I printed out, I came in this morning, and, and the internet was down, I couldn't print out my notes. And so panic set in, and uh, we, we kind of dealt with that, and then I was so frustrated, I grabbed all my stuff to go into the first service and knocked my tea over on my desk and all my books and my notes and everything covered in tea, so I grabbed a whole thing of, of uh, paper towels and just plopped it down on my desk and walked out. <laughs> so it's been one of those kind of mornings, but I'm so glad that you're here, and I've been looking forward to sharing God's Word with you today from Joshua chapter 3. Would you open God's Word to Joshua chapter 3? We're preaching our way through the book of Joshua, though this is really not a, a sermon series on the book as much as it is a study of the man, Joshua. Uh, Joshua chapter 3 is where we are today, and as you're turning there, uh, I just want to take a moment just to say, Miss Kay, we're so glad to have you back. Miss I, I, Kay has been out since COVID because of physical uh, reasons, and so good to be able to see you. Haven't seen you in a year and a half or so, and before this service, I saw three other people with the same thing. Uh, they were here today. Uh, unable to be here for the last year and a half, and so that's just encouraged my heart. And then Kara Riggs is right, well, it's not Riggs anymore, is it, Kara? But Kara Riggs from my first church that I pastored in Lenore, North Carolina. Back then she was a little girl and maybe a teenager before I left, and now she's married and here today. So in spite of all the junk, it's a good day, right? Amen. So Joshua chapter 3, I, I want to start by reading just one verse, and then we're going to be all over the first three chapters and really camp out as we work our way through chapter 3. I want to start out with this verse we're going to put on the screen. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. I want to talk to you today about amazing things. Amazing things that God might want to do in your life. Amazing things that God might want to do through your home. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord would do amazing things among you. Here's what I want you to understand today. What we do today determines what God does tomorrow. Consecrate yourselves. For the Lord will do amazing things among you. Let me give you the context of chapter 3, verse 5, the whole context if I can. Starting in chapter 1, chapter 1, we began this last week, we talked about be strong and courageous. Moses had died, Joshua was taking his place, he was scared to death, and the main thing that he had to rely on as he took over leading God's people into the promised land, maybe two million people, the main thing that he had to rely on was the presence of God. And God assured him, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. The thing that made the difference for Moses, uh, that same thing, my presence, will make a difference in your life. And so he says in chapter 1, verse 9, Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So that's what we talked about last week in chapter 1. Then we come to chapter 2, and we're not going to deal with chapter 2 today. We may deal with chapter 2 on a Sunday night in the very near future, but let me just summarize chapter 2 for you. <clears throat> in Joshua chapter 2, Joshua sends two spies 
into the promised land to check it out. He said, I especially want you to go to check, I want you to go check out Jericho, but, but go spy out the land and especially focus on Jericho. I'm not going to tell you where they ended up, but I will say that no respectable Baptist would probably have gone where they went. And if, if please don't read it right now, okay? But read it later. It'll, it'll surprise you. It'll really, make sure the kids aren't, aren't around when you read it also. It'll surprise you where they ended up. And we may talk about that on the Sunday nights coming up soon. That's Joshua chapter 2. Then we come to Joshua chapter 3. Now, if your Bible is anything like my Bible, there are chapter headings, you know. And in the chapter headings over chapter 3 says, Crossing the Jordan. If you'll flip the page to the next chapter, to chapter 4, at least in my Bible, I don't know about yours, but there is no chapter heading for chapter 4. It's because chapter 3 and chapter 4 are tied together. Chapter 3 and chapter 4 are about the same subject. Both chapters are the story of crossing the Jordan River into the Promised Land. In other words, crossing the Jordan River was so significant that it took two chapters to describe it. So, we have to ask this question. Why does this particular river matter so much? I mean, if you'll remember how this book even began. Joshua chapter 1 verse 2. The very first thing that God said to Joshua as the book opens was this. Verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. It's the first thing that God said to him. Hey, assignment number one, the top thing on your to-do list is this. Get the people ready to cross the Jordan River. So it brings up a very big question. Why did they cross over the Jordan River? Why did God's people need to do this? Why is it such a big issue in this book? Why are there two chapters devoted to it? Do you remember the old joke, why did the chicken cross the road? The chicken crossed the road to show the possum it could be done. Some of you on the way home might say, a dead possum. Oh, I get it now. I got it. Why did the people need to cross the Jordan? That's a big question. Why did the people of God need to cross the Jordan? It wasn't just about getting them to the other side. That's not the reason. In fact, something interesting is this. The previous generation did not have to cross the Jordan when they were, had the opportunity to go into the promised land. If you read about the, the first generation that was going into the promised land, this is a NASA satellite photo. And if you read about the previous generation, if you look on the bottom of the picture, they came in from the desert of Zin. They came in from the south. They came in across land to go into the promised land. But they failed to go in. They were afraid to go in. They decided not to go in. And so they wandered around in the desert wilderness and they ended up on the east side of the Jordan River. And now this new generation is not going to go in from the south across the land. This new generation, by the plan of God, is to go across the Jordan River. So I want that question to sit in your mind for a while. Why? Why? What was so significant about this river? And so with that in mind, I want to pick up the story. And what we're going to do is just read our way through the chapter and make some couple of applications at the end. 
So chapter 3, verse 1, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from the positions and follow it. I mean, let's pause for a moment. How do you communicate to two million people? How do, you, how do you say to everybody, okay guys, it's time to go. And so they eventually got the word out. It's okay, this will be the sign. This will be the signal. They didn't have text messaging. You couldn't send two million people an email. So okay, tomorrow at 8 o'clock we're going to be heading. So they said, okay, pass the word along. Here's the, here's the signal. When you see the Ark of the Covenant moving, get up and follow it. That's the sign. And so here's, here's what we read. <clears throat> when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Notice it's referred to in verse 3 as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. The Ark of the Covenant was... That piece of furniture, if you will, that represented God's presence on earth. And I want you to realize that he says, you need to follow it. Joshua was not leading God's people into the promised land. God was. The Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence. God was leading them into the promised land. And he says, and the reason God's doing that is because... So you'll know which way to go since you've never been this way before. In other words, God is the only one who really knows where you need to go. So follow Him. We all have hopes and dreams and plans and desires, but when it's all said and done, only God really knows the way we ought to go. So we should follow Him. And then it says in this text that, we should, that they should keep a distance. I want you to look in your Bible and see how it's listed. But keep a distance, as you're following the Ark of the Covenant, keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. In your Bible, does it say something else? Some other terminology. A distance of what? Two thousand cubits. A thousand yards is roughly the same as two thousand cubits. Or to put it in more modern terms, that's about ten football fields long. It's more than half a mile. In other words, follow the Ark of the Covenant, just don't follow too close. Because the Ark of the Covenant represented the holiness of God. It was God present on planet earth. Follow that Ark, but don't get too close. Because of the holiness of God. Make sure you stay about ten football fields away from it. Showing respect for the sacred symbol of God's presence. Then we read verse 5. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. You need to remember that when Joshua was talking to these people, he was talking to a group of people whose, whose yesterdays were a long list of repeated failures. Their previous generation, their, their fathers and grandfathers, their mothers and grandmothers, had been a nation that had rebelled against God. Their yesterdays was not very good. And after 40 years of wandering in the desert, 
the tribes of Israel were finally about to enter the promised land that their fathers and grandfathers, their forefathers, if you will, had failed to enter. But before they could take possession, before they could go claim it as theirs, Joshua said, you need to consecrate yourself. That word consecrate is an interesting word. It literally means, it simply means to make something clean and set it apart for God. So Joshua says, before you cross over, before you go into the promised land, you need to make your life clean and set your life dedicated to God. In other words, if you want to see God do something amazing, you have to prepare your life for Him to do it. It involves confession as well as commitment. And God was simply saying to the people through Joshua, you're not ready for the miracle yet. You need to consecrate yourselves because you're not ready for the miracle yet. And we all need to ask and answer this very simple question. Is my life clean before God? It's a huge question. And that's what's implied by the word consecrate yourself. Is your life clean before God? You see, experiencing God's best does not happen by chance. We have to personally and intentionally consecrate ourselves to Him. God wants to do something amazing in your life. But only if you consecrate yourself to Him. And when you fail to do that, watch this. When we fail to consecrate ourselves to the Lord, when we fail to be dedicated to the Lord, we're not just disobeying God today, we are sacrificing what God could have done tomorrow. Not just disobeying God today in this moment. You're sacrificing what God wants to do in your life tomorrow. So Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. God plans to do something amazing. So we pick up the story again in verse 6. Joshua said to the priests, take the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. Now, remember, we're trying to answer this question, why cross the Jordan River? Here's the first answer to that question in verse 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today, I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. God was going to use this experience to validate the leadership of Joshua. Remember when God's people came out of Egypt and they came to the Red Sea? God uses the crossing of the Red Sea to validate the leadership of Moses. In fact, it says in Exodus 14.31, after they had gone across the Red Sea and after the Egyptians had been destroyed, it says Exodus 14.31, And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and in Moses, His servant. So at the Red Sea, God elevated Moses in the eyes of the people. And as they crossed the Jordan River, God elevated Joshua in the eyes of the people. I told you last week that there was a, in the book of Joshua, is really about a transition in leadership from Moses to Joshua. Here we see the transition. Look at verse 7 again. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Then we come to verse 8, which is kind of a strange verse by itself. 
Verse 8 says, tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go stand in the river. Now, now think about this. He's talking to people who were going to be carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And in verse 15, the river is described this way. It was at flood stage. We'll talk about what that means in a moment. So the people who were to carry the Ark of the Covenant, this would have been their highest privilege and their greatest honor. This would have been something you told your grandkids about. Uh, listen, listen, come here, come here. There was a time when, you, when your papa, he was chosen to carry the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan River. Generation after generation. Did you know that your great-grandfather was chosen by God to carry the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan? I mean, this would have been one of those moments. Highest privilege, greatest honor of your life. But yet, one of the strangest things is God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go pick up the Ark of the Covenant and I want you to go stand in the river. I think I would have said, how about if we stand beside the river? That makes more sense, right? We'll just go stand by the river. But God didn't say that. God said, go stand in the river. So we pick up the story to see how it all works out. Verse 9, Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. He's talking to the whole group, the whole crowd. And he says to them, this is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priest who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Remember, we were asking the question, why did they have to cross the Jordan River? Here's another answer. God was using this experience to strengthen the faith of, their, of His people. It says in verse 10, watch this. this, this is so important. Make sure you read this carefully. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. This is how God is going to convince you to trust Him. This is how God is going to demonstrate that He is with you. This is how you will know the living God is among you, and not just that He is with you, and that He will certainly drive out before you all the ites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, all the ites that live there. My favorite definition of faith goes like this. Faith is belief plus unbelief and acting on the belief part. That's so true. Faith is belief and unbelief, but choosing to act on the belief part. The people of God decided to do what the previous generation failed to do. They decided to trust God. And this time, God Himself was going to lead them into the Jordan. I just want you to read it one more time. It's so important. Verse 11 See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan. What's those last three words, church? Ahead of you. If you read the entire chapter, you'll find out that this phrase, ark of the covenant, is listed nine times in these 17 verses. 
nine times in 17 verses, the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned in one way or another. Must be something significant about the Ark of the Covenant. And the cool thing is, nearly every time in this third chapter, when you read about the Ark of the Covenant, it is emphasized that the Ark is ahead of the people. That the Ark of the Covenant is in front of the people. Now let me describe this Ark of the Covenant to you. It's made out of, it was a chest of achia wood. I'm probably not saying that correctly. But it's, it's smaller than I envisioned it. When I studied it this week, I kind of to refresh my memory, I, I got into the dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant. And, and actually, I've always envisioned it about the size of a kitchen table. But it, it was rather small. Uh, if you look at the dimensions, it was basically 4.3 feet long and about 2.5 feet wide and 2.5 feet tall. Overlaid inside and out with gold. And then that, that lid was significant. You see the angels with the, their, their wings touching. That was called the mercy seat. And that was the place that represented God's presence. That was where God touched earth. was at the mercy seat. God was said to occupy the mercy seat between those two cherubim. So, this is what they were following. So when they walked towards the Jordan River, anytime they got scared, all they had to do was look at this. And it represented God's literal presence with them. They had tangible evidence that the living God was with them. And I thought, wouldn't it be kind of cool if we could carry one of those around sometimes? Just as a visible, tangible reminder when you walk into the doctor's, what is that? Don't worry about it. That's just my reminder that God's with me. When you go into that meeting that's, that's really bad and you go into the boardroom and, and you got four guys carrying this thing in and setting it down in the boardroom, this visible reminder of God's presence. Or when you're walking into the living room, you're about to have a hard conversation with your wife or with your husband and your marriage is broken and you're trying to put it back together and, and you set the Ark of the Covenant right down in the middle of the living room. Just a visible reminder of the presence of God. That's what they had. But this Ark of the Covenant was not just a reminder of the presence of God. If you look in verse 10, it was another reminder as well. It says... This is how you will know that the living God is among you. We've talked about that. And, and that he will certainly drive out before you all the enemies that live there. The Ark of the Covenant was a reminder that God would give victory to his people in the battles that were ahead. Can I remind you that the very first time that the people of God went towards the promised land the previous generation, that when they saw the people who lived there, they said, they're too large, we can't defeat them, they're too strong, we can't fight them. This time, God is going ahead of them in the Ark of the Covenant. This time, the Ark of the Covenant is going first as a reminder that this is a divine effort, not a human effort. Joshua was not at the front of the line. God was. And crossing the Jordan was a reminder as they crossed the Jordan following God that not only was He with them, 
but He would enable them to win the battles that are ahead. And in fact, it says in the text that they crossed the Jordan River at Jericho or near Jericho. That was going to be their first battle. So that's where they crossed the Jordan River. It was a visual reminder as they saw the Ark of the Covenant in front of them and as they saw Jericho in the distance, it was a visible reminder that God would win this battle. By the way, don't don't read past that too quickly. When the people of God went into the promised land, they had to take it from the people who lived there. You ever thought about that? That ever bothered you? That when the people of God went into the promised land, they had to take it away from the people who lived there. Now, that doesn't sound quite right, but I want you to notice something in the text here. Look in verse 11. We've, I've told you the Ark of the Covenant appears many times in this chapter. But for the first time in the Bible, it is listed in a different way. For the first time in the Bible, it says, See, the, after listing all the ites that they're going to face in battle in verse 10, See, the Ark of the Covenant, watch this, of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. That's the first time that that, apply, that, that appears in Scripture. Not just the Ark of the Covenant, but the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth. This is a statement about God's absolute sovereignty. Look up here at this picture for a moment. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth. Right in the middle of the picture you see Israel. The Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea. Joshua says, this is not just the Ark of the Covenant. This is the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the Master of all the earth. Can I say to you that there is not a foot of ground on planet earth that He is not sovereignly in charge of. He is the sovereign Lord of all the earth. Now I know that still leaves a lot of questions. Because you're fighting people who are simply living in the land and you're taking the land and their homes away from them. And so here's what I'm going to do. Next Sunday night, July 25th, we're going to do a a study called Going Deeper in Joshua. And this is what we're going to study next Sunday night. This whole concept of conquering the land because, listen to me, they spent seven years battle after battle after battle after battle Conquering the land. Taking it away from the Canaanites. So next Sunday night, we'll talk about that. Going deeper in Joshua. One Sunday night, we might talk about chapter 2 and why they, why they went where they went in chapter 2. Maybe you'll go back and read that sometime later. So let's pick up the story and finish this up. Verse 13. <clears throat> And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, and here it's referred to again, the Lord of all the earth. But this time it is connected, this time it's connected to the Jordan River and what God's going to do. He is the Lord of all the earth. He's in charge. All he has to do is speak to the Jordan and the waters will stop and they'll pile up. Because he is the Lord of all the earth. And so let's, let's see how it unfolds. 
As soon as the priest who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot into Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Watch this. So when the people broke camp across the Jordan, the priest carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Flood stage. The Jordan River normally is not that impressive. I've seen it many times. And it's a beautiful river in places, but it's not that big. Scholar, Bible scholar Warren Wiersbe said during most of the year, the Jordan River is probably about 100 feet wide, about 35 yards wide. And the times I've been there, that's, that's exactly what I've seen. A Jordan River, about, again, not that impressive. It's beautiful, but not that big. But at flood stage, that is... During the spring rains, when the snow begins to melt on Mount Hermon and goes down into the Sea of Galilee and then down the Jordan River, that the Jordan River during the harvest time or during the springtime, the Jordan River would flood. And Warren Wiersbe says many times when it would flood during the harvest spring rains, that it would be not 35 yards wide, but a mile wide. In fact, if you, again, don't do this now, but if you want to get on the internet, you can look up, I think it was back in the 1920s, there's an old black and white photo of when this happened again in Israel at the Jordan River, and it was a huge, huge, wide, perhaps a mile wide flood. And that's what what happened here. It was at flood stage. The river overflowed its banks, and perhaps a mile wide. Verse 15. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away from the town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, what we call today the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Give me your attention for just a few moments. I want to make a couple of applications. First of all, see if this sounds familiar. The water stopped. It piled up in a heap. And they walked across on dry ground. Does that sound familiar to anybody? And it was intended to be familiar. As the people of God walked across the dry ground of the Jordan River, knowing that God had parted the waters, if you will, I'm sure their minds went back to what their parents and their grandparents told them, how God opened the Red Sea, how He parted the waters, how the waters stood up in a heap, how they walked across on dry ground. But we come back to this question, don't we? Why did the people have to cross the Jordan River? It wasn't about getting them to the other side. Crossing the Jordan River was about convincing a group of people that they could trust God. They could trust God even with their lives. And that is exactly what the previous generation failed to do. So this time... 
God brought them to the east side of the Jordan River. This time they're not walking across sand and land to get into the promised land. This time they're on the east side of the Jordan River. They're going across a swollen Jordan River. But the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence was going in front of them because God brought them to that place to teach them they could trust God. Even with their lives. So let me give you a couple of lessons quickly. Number one, God does amazing things when we consecrate ourselves to Him. None of this happened until they consecrated themselves. None of this happened until they dedicated themselves to God. And I said a moment ago, let me say it again, what you do today can impact what God does tomorrow. I was having breakfast one day this week with a new friend, and, and it was a positive uh, breakfast. I don't want you to take this wrong, what I'm about to say. It was a very positive breakfast with a new friend, and we were just talking about spiritual things, and I picked up the fork that I had been using, and I said to him with my dirty fork in hand, I said, you know, God can use any kind of an instrument except a dirty one. All shapes, all sizes, all kinds. God can use any kind of an instrument except a dirty one. Consecrate yourselves. For the Lord will do amazing things for you tomorrow. What you decide today will determine what God does tomorrow. And then the second lesson is this. God does amazing things to prepare us for the battles ahead. See, not every day is a river crossing day. This only happened one time in this generation. One special event. One special a day. God did something amazing. But it was more than just doing something amazing. In fact, if the people of God, as they went across the river, if, if, they, if they had said, God, this is amazing, God would have said, no, it's more than that. It's a lesson. And I want you to remember it. So pick up 12 stones. Because I don't want you to forget the lesson I'm teaching you today. And we'll talk about those 12 stones next week. Crossing the Jordan was preparation for the battles ahead. The miracle of crossing the Jordan was to convince them they could trust God to lead them to win the battles. And the very first place they crossed the Jordan was right in the vicinity of Jericho because that was going to be their very first battle. And for seven years, they would go city after city after city, trusting in the presence and the power of God to win the battle. And where did they learn that lesson? At the Jordan River. At the Jordan River. If you're standing at your own Jordan River right now, you're standing looking at an impossible place where you need God to do something amazing. Remember two things. Consecrate yourself. Don't expect God to do something in and for your life if you're not living for Him. Consecrate yourself. And number two, remember this. The God who brought you to this place won't leave you now. He brought them to that place of the Jordan River. And He led them across it. 
And the God who brought you to the place where you are will not leave you now. But the most amazing miracle of all is not crossing the Jordan. Jesus talked about the most amazing miracle of all in John chapter 5. When Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. And watch this, Jesus said, and he has crossed over from death to life. He's crossed over from death to life. That's the greatest miracle of all. That's the most amazing thing God could ever do. Was the miracle of allowing you to cross over from death to life. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, we're going to sing a song in just a moment. I'm going to be standing down front and we're going to give you the opportunity to do that very thing. To trust that God can do in your life what you could never do for yourself and to trust that He alone can win the battle of sin that you're fighting. And when you put your faith in Christ that He died on the cross for you, you can literally cross over from death to life. We all have our own Jordan River where we cross over from death to life. Let's pray. Would you join me right now? Father, in the name of Jesus, we're grateful for who you are, for what you've done and what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for this word today. And I pray if there's anybody here and they've not yet trusted you as Savior, may today be that day. Or someone watching online, may today be the day that they reach out to you and they, in faith, trust you to be their Lord and their God. Thank you for the amazing things you want to do in our lives if we will just consecrate ourselves to you. And may what we do today affect what you do tomorrow. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.